Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a very special episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly show where we talk about comics, um, other things like that, and sometimes we get to talk to some really awesome people, and today is one of those episodes. I am your host today, Anne, and I am joined by the lovely, awesome, mega-talented Jadzia Axelrod. Jadzia, how are you doing today? I'm great. I love that you referred to this as a very special episode. Oh, yeah. It, it makes me feel very special, and also the possibility <laughs> that... We're going to do some speed balls and then leap out a window. Who knows? <laughs> that that comes at the end. Um, right. Yeah, this is, we're so sorry for everyone out there who is learning now. That this is an audio only experience. You won't get to watch the speed balls, but. Um, but it will just, be very special. We'll all learn something <laughs> about ourselves and each other. Exactly. Um, we will, we'll have a visual representation drawn up by um, Am and K at some point, and we'll post them on social media for you to check out. They will definitely be something spectacular. Um, Jazzy, before we start, I gotta say, I am so mad at myself that we did not get a picture together at New York Comic Con. Oh my I'm gosh. I'm myself over Me that too. one. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think. <sighs> I was not... so, because we met so early. That we met oh like yeah. Thursday morning. And mm -hmm. I was still, my brain was essentially still on the train. So like, <laughs> I I didn't even come together and then we met oh, again yeah. later in like artist alley which is the uh -huh. worst place to meet anyone <laughs> because of all the noise and the ricochet and all that so like i wasn't thinking clearly then either i had two options and i screwed them both up and i apologize <laughs> that's on me it's okay we'll, we'll find another time eventually it <laughs> artist alley is so so crazy i told you that was my first con ever right that was you wild. did not that's a wild one to start with yeah, New York it was, Comic Con being your first convention ever, amazing. It was such an experience. It was I, I walk in there. There's so many people, and like less than five minutes in, I'm I find myself standing right next to Tom Taylor and his way down to Artist Alley. I'm like, this is the this is the craziest moment of my life. This is the <laughs> oh, it was so wild. It was lovely to get to meet you, and I'm so glad that you got to come back for this because um, listeners to the podcast will know we've had you on a few times before. Once to talk about three? Alex, this is number three. Amazing, You're three Pete. A three-peat, exactly. Not many people get to do that. Only the best and the coolest. So very happy to have you back. This is the second time we've actually gotten to talk about Hot Girl. Um, if anyone has not yet, because I'm going to give the warning right up front that we will be diving into the full series in this interview because the full series is out now and you should definitely go read it and pre-order that trade that is coming out on June 4th. But... If you want to know more about the series without getting into those deep spoilers, you just kind of want to see like, hey, is this something I should check out? Definitely go look at that first interview, read the series, and then come back here for all the in-depth exclusive goodies. You, trust me, you won't regret it. And yeah, it was yeah. really nice of us to have a spoiler-free interview right? previously, and now we get to be <laughs> in the spoiler ones. More people should do that, honestly. Oh, it's yeah. Great. It's a great service. <laughs> It's it's the before and after movie talk. You talk about your expectations, then you come out and you talk about the spoilers. It's great. Uh, so, yeah, Hot Girl is over, and it was an amazing ride while it was happening. Well, Jadzia, um, this this series ends in a very emotional way. I, I'm trying to think of the best way to open this up. Um, just tell me, how are you feeling now that this series is, is wrapped and everyone's gotten a chance to experience the whole package? I miss it, honestly. Like mm -hmm. when when we were done, done. Like issue six was sent off to the printer, 
I it felt weird because it was like, do I am I not going to be thinking about Kendra Saunders anymore? Like that's a weird thing to do because I worked on this like almost all of 2023. I got right. the call back in January of last year, and then up until um, whatever the print date was, like what, like I finished my stuff early, but just because you write the scripts doesn't mean your role is done. And so mm -hmm. I was still looking at the art that Amanke was putting in. I was looking at the colors. I was looking at Hassan's amazing lettering and I was tweaking the script so that everything fit better. So I was like involved all the way through the process. And then, and then we were done. And I was like, mm -hmm. like it felt weird. Like it, it, this book has been such a part of my life for a solid year. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I get, I get too involved in these things. Like I don't have the professional distance that I probably should have, especially when dealing with corporate trademarks. Mm -hmm. but like I, I, I write these characters because I love them. And I, I did, you know, I do deeply love uh, Hawkgirl and all that she is and all that she represents. And like, I've loved her for a long time since um, I was reading Jess JSA when it was coming out like 20 million years ago. So like this character means a lot to me. And then to be done just felt weird. Cause like, no, no, we're going on more adventures, right? Like me and Kendra are going to go do mm -hmm. some, have some more fun. Hopefully. But Hopefully. it was weird to just like cut it off right there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like you can definitely feel that in, in this work. I feel like this book does what I've always hoped a book would and what I was hoping this book would do from the get-go when I saw you were on it and it really cements Kendra's individuality in the DCU and it makes her feel like a fully fleshed out character I I think a lot about like when I first got into comics and the things that really pulled me towards DC characters and I thought a lot about the books I was reading at the time I was really into Jeff Johns Aquaman and Green Lantern I thought what pulled me there the most is it really centered on building that character that, that mythos of the character's backstory, the personality, who they are as an individual, and then building everything out from there. It's like everything else felt secondary. And to me, that's kind of what this Hot Girl run feels like. Um, can you talk to me about going into this, what were your goals with Kendra and how were you going to find that balance between who she was as a person and her larger-than-life adventures? Certainly. Um, yeah, I... I always come to these things character first, like I'm a character based writer mm -hmm. um, and like the plot and all of that comes out of who the character is. So I have to start with the character. And one thing that was interesting with Kendra is that who she was before I started and who she was when I started reading her, very different people. Mm -hmm. And, and rather than like, just like turn the clock back and be like, Oh, no, we're pulling back JSA 19-year-old smart mouth Kendra. And like, that's the way it's always been. What are you talking about? Uh, I really was interested in this idea of like, what has happened to that teenage smart mouth that now she's this um, more reserved team player that she is in Justice League. And like that journey, like if we take everything as text um, and like none of this was intentional because you have several different writers and you have um, her being part of team books and part of ensembles. So it doesn't really like map as like, this was the plan for Kendra all along. 
but if we look at it, what if it was mm-hmm. like, who, who does that make her now? And why is she like that? And that was so interesting to me. And then to add the element of the Vendetti Hawkman run, which is like all of the um, Hawk incarnations are done. Like they solved it. Good job. and but they solved it without Kendra right like Mm -hmm. and so like where does she fit in all that which is the kind of part of the question that's always dogged her throughout her entire existence is where does she fit um especially in the Hawk legacy but also in these larger teams where you have these characters who have very specific um Ballywicks and like MOs, right? Like mm-hmm. Superman is a big space guy. If there's a space problem, you can count on Superman to solve it. Him and Green Lantern, they'll help you out there. If there's a science problem, the Flash is there, right? So, like, mm-hmm. where is Kendra in all of this? She can definitely fly. <laughs> <laughs> right? She's got that down. She's got that down. So, where does she fit there? So, it was really about, like, okay. Where does she fit? How does she fit into these circumstances that people have been trying to put her into that she doesn't necessarily fit into? Like, where where can we make it so she does fit into those now? Where do we make it so that she has her own place if we don't want to put her in those situations again? And that was really the goal of the series. Um, and it felt really great to do that with this character who I've always loved and to like give her the love and attention that I felt she's always deserved mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily gotten. Um, and I'll also tell this story of like uh, when you're in your early 20s, you're, you're kind of grasping at adulthood and what that means. And it's very easy to um, fall into this trap of like, I need to put everything that I was behind me mm-hmm. and your, and your need to like be an adult. And there, the book is a combination of how time changes us, but also how that doesn't mean we get, we have to lose who we were before. And then we can still keep that connection. Like my favorite moment in the whole series is where um, Kendra um, is in the room mm-hmm. with herself when she commits suicide um, or attempts to commit suicide. That was my one retcon. Well, not one, but that was the big retcon I wanted to put in that there was just a suicide attempt and not a full suicide. Um, so she has a suicide attempt. And then after that, she um, gives herself the love and attention that she deserved in that moment, but there was no one else to do that. And gave the love to her previous self, her her teenage self, that maybe she didn't look so lovingly on before, but because of the events of the series, she now has a much more uh, greater understanding and a greater love for who she was mm-hmm. and how she became who she is now. And so, um, yeah, that was just one of my favorite moments and kind of encapsulates the series what I was trying to do as a whole, which is that sort of like we're moving forward, but that doesn't mean we're leaving the past behind. I, I, I love so much that you brought that scene up because that's, that, that has been the scene that's it's stuck with me since I read it. 
And I think as, as a trans individual, that was one that felt very, very personal to me where it's like, I wish that that was something that I could have with my past self and the, the theme of bringing in all that history and not letting go of who you used to be. That's definitely something that resonates very, very strongly with me. Um, so I, is that something that also comes from a lot of your lived experience, um, pulling in to kind of make that connection with Kendra? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I, I suffer from depression myself, so it was really mm -hmm. easy to kind of take that, to kind of bring that out of her character and make it in the forefront. Because I, I love the idea of her being a very functional depression, right? Like she goes and does her job. She's amazing mm -hmm. at being hot girl. That was something that was really important to me. It was like, hot girl is very good about being hot girl she that's why she's part of the justice league like you don't get to be part of the justice league these days <laughs> this is not the keith giffen justice league all right <laughs> like these days you got to be a list in order to yep. be a part of the justice league so she's very good about being a superhero um and then the rest of the time she's just isn't and like that's being a functional depression person is like that's a common story where you're like i'm going to work and i'm going to do a great job at work and then when I come home, I'm going to curl up in a ball on the floor until I have to go to work again. And then I will be great at work. Um, and so that was something I really wanted to, to bring in that she is wrestling with this. And, and she doesn't solve her depression by the end. Like she's better with it, mm -hmm. but she, it's still something that's, that's going to dog her because that's the way depression works. Um, and I've totally forgotten what the question was. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I think you're talking never... about, yes, the resonance and holding your past self in your arms and saying mm -hmm. of all my past lives, you're the one I love the most. That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think I think that's something that everybody um, wants to have, right? Like we want mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And there's reasons we can't. And there, for some people, there's reasons we shouldn't, right? Like we sh everyone has their own journey. And some people's journeys are more painful than others. But I do wish, because um, I, like yourself, I'm a trans person. I do wish I could go back and like give myself the understanding and affection that um, she was clearly looking for and couldn't find. Um, because she didn't even know what she was looking for or how to voice the problems that she was having. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's common, but it's especially common in people like you and I mm -hmm. and other queer people, which is, even though this story is a, about <laughs> a straight woman, yeah, there is that queer trans resonance in there. I, I just can't escape it, I guess. <laughs> this is what happens when I dabble in heterosexuality. It still turns out <laughs> to be a gay trans story somehow. <laughs> so, I, just, I just love that phrase, dabbling in heterosexuality. <laughs> Like, hey, it was a phase. It's okay. We're fine. <laughs> um, there's... speak. <sighs> Sorry. Before we move on to that, because I do want to talk about the lovely and vibrant queer cast of characters around Kendra. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about just like... Just because this book was so emotionally resonant. Um, you know, reading those scenes as a fan, it's always going to hit you very hard. Like that the scene where she attempts suicide is very hard to read and there's a lot of emotions there. 
do you find it's difficult as a writer to write those scenes and keep yourself kind of divorced from the character? Or do you feel like all of those emotions as you're writing them? I mean, we've already talked about how I'm too involved in these. So yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I do. I do not have a distance. Um, yeah. And the, the thing is like those scenes as difficult as they are, are easier for me to write than say like the fight scenes and the, the mm-hmm. superhero things where you have to think, It's just a very different mode of thought, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. with writing a, an emotional scene, you're writing a play, essentially. With writing a fight scene, you're writing a ballet and you're writing a dance. And like that's a different muscle in your head that you have to figure out. And, um, and that's something that I'm not as strong with as um, the emotional stuff, which is stuff that I've written all over the place. So like that stuff was easy. There was several points where it was like, I'll just let this emotional scene go. And then it's like, but wait, I still need two more pages for fight scenes. So let's tighten up those emotional scenes so we can like have her kick somebody in the face. Because that that's part of the story. And yeah. it's something that's necessary. And um, even beyond like the superhero floppy comic book trope of like, we need a fight scene every issue. That is how Kendra deals with her emotions is by hitting people. And that's always been true. And so mm-hmm. to, um, to have those transitions where, you know, she kind of like comes close to an epiphany and then swallows it only to then have it come out in a fight scene, like in issue three, <coughs> excuse me. Um, that was necessary. It was, it was, just the way the story came out, like to have mm-hmm. that, those bits and pieces all come together. Um, and like, as much as I love the emotional stuff, I know that this is a pulp story. It's about someone mm-hmm. who puts on a costume and a cool helmet and flies around with a mace. And like, as much as I love the who these superheroes are under the masks and why they do what they do and like taking that apart. I also know that it's a superhero story. And so they need to to also be able to be put back together in order to do the thing that we like to see, which is fly around and hit people with a mace. Um, She does it so well and she looks good doing it. She looks so good. Oh my gosh. A man K is a genius. Oh, he gave me every single thing I asked for, mm-hmm. including Kendra with just giant arms. <laughs> the the moment that um that her friend said um I, I would climb her like a tree if she let me, I felt that so bad. That was like, oh me, me too, girl. <laughs> or, hell yeah, I'm right there with you. I I it's think Kendra is great, right? Oh my gosh. But, you know, we're talking talk a lot about the emotional resonance. Let's talk about some of that. Let's talk about some of the action now. Let's talk about some of the the kicking and the punching, which is so great. We talk about the dragon. The dragon. Yeah. If you're still listening to this and you haven't read the book yet, there is a dragon. I, mm-hmm. I also, I, I was going to bring it. I love the fact that you kind of made Hawk Girl like the knight. That's like her role. She wants to be the knight. And I, I love that so much. And so of course yeah. she fights a dragon. Tell us about the dragon, please. Right. Well, like, and that goes part and parcel with her being a knight, right? Because the whole thing, mm-hmm. part of her, me finding her voice 
was about like who is what kind of superhero is she right like she's not Mm -hmm. a policeman like green lantern like that was clear like kendra is never (laughs) going to be a cop oh yeah right so that's clear but she's also not like a symbol of hope the same way that superman and wonder woman are and while she's a detective she's not a like um sort of a noir figure the same way that Batman is, right? So who is she? And when I hit upon, like, it took me way too long to figure this out because she re- uses medieval weapons and wears a helmet. Like, this should have been <laughs> day one. I should have realized that, like, oh, right, she's a knight, of course. She has a code of honor mm-hmm. and she protects people from monsters. She's a knight. Um, it took me too long to figure that out, but I did. And then, of course, her being a knight, she had to fight a dragon. Um, and that comes from, like, I love kaiju movies. Mm-hmm. I love all the Godzillas, the Mothras, the Gamera's, you name it. Like, I just love that. And that's one of the things about Kendra in particular as a superhero is that, like, I had to keep giving her larger and larger monsters to fight. In mm-hmm. part because we had to escalate each issue, but also because, like, I wanted to see her fight a, a big monster. Like, oh, no, a bigger one. No, a bigger one. <laughs> so to have a huge dragon attract Metropolis was a foregone conclusion. Like, I mm-hmm. knew that was going to happen. Um, like, I, when a man cave first came on, I was like, I'm so glad you're in here because you draw such great monsters and you're going to be so good for the kaiju issue. And he got so excited. Like, there's going to be a kaiju <laughs> issue? It's like, yeah. It'll be a giant monster issue. It'll be great. And he just, oh, he drew the fuck out of that dragon, too. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, it was so uh, good. He he drew the, the fuck out of every single monster in here. I, I still, um, reading it again today, I lost my mind over the car guy. I still, that was the guy. coolest. And, like, and the bloodhound, right? Who doesn't oh have my eyes God. and is covered in mm-hmm. blood that's dripping off. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> but anyway, back to the dragon. Right. Like, yes. So dragons, I have... Dragons find their way in a lot of my works in a way that I don't know why. They just do. Mm-hmm. And so it was very natural to have one in this. And then it was like... <clears throat> I was... um, I was given like... Um, a bunch of Metropolis people who weren't being used in other books that month. And so mm-hmm. I got to use Supergirl and Steel. And it's like, well, if they if these two are in there, it, that dragon has to do more than breathe fire. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea that this dragon um, narrows in on your weakness and gives you that um, is just one of those wonderful little comic book things that also felt very like folktale and fairy tale resonant, which is what oh, yeah. the larger book was doing. And then for him to be like, I can see what your weakness is, Kendra, and I'm going to talk to you about it because it's not kryptonite and it's not your machinery seizing up. It's your feelings of inadequacy. That's your weakness. And props to Kendra that she still takes the dragon's head off with all that. But he's not wrong. And that's... Mm-hmm. I love an ending where, like, 
not necessarily the villain wins, but the, mm. they don't necessarily lose, right? Right. Oh, I, I I thought that was so smart. I, that was one of my favorite issues of the run, and I just Mine too. I. You you gotta like you gotta freeze up for a second where it's like okay that it just blasted Supergirl with green kryptonite it just took out Steel with a EMP and now it's talking shit to me this is not a good sign this right. is not a good start <laughs> it's it's this is bad news we got to do some I I thought that was wonderful and leading that straight into to um, issue five where we go through Kendra's past and she's at her absolute lowest I thought that was that was so wonderful. My, my, listen, I have a big question about issue four. And that, that question is that if Supergirl can hear my heart rate increase whenever she enters the room, why hasn't she made the first move yet? Well, girl, I'm I waiting. mean, the main reason is probably, according to DC editorial, she's straight. <laughs> but I'm, the other I'm... reason is if you've read the Tamaki Supergirl stuff, she has trouble making the first move on anything. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's probably the other one. There we go. There, It all makes sense. I... <laughs> I love the idea of DC editorial just like peeking in closets like, oh, no, no one in here. Don't know what to tell you. They have a list of characters that are allowed to be gay, I, I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, the Fortunately, oh, Galaxy my... is on the list and yeah, she can just gay it up as much as we like. Ooh, let's talk about Galaxy then. Let's switch over like, to this incredible please. cast. How much did it mean to you to be able to just so freely surround Kendra by all the gayest <laughs> queers characters in DC's arsenal? How how was that? I mean, that was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I planned it that way. I mean, I did yeah. in a way. Because it was one of those things where it's like, we need to... Kendra's hurting, right? And so she's going mm-hmm. to hang out with her friends, but she doesn't have any friends. So we should give her some friends. And I don't know your experience, but in mine, whenever a woman I know is having a very difficult time, like a breakup or a death in the family or something, she usually kind of like, I'm going to hang out with my girlfriends at this point. And so we needed to give her some friends who were girls. And obviously I wanted to bring Galaxy in. Um, I had... I had kind of a galaxy-shaped hole in the plot um, Mm -hmm. where I needed someone who had a fun personality and energy manipulation powers for the story to work. But I had other characters in mind if they didn't let me use galaxy. Um, They were happy to let me use galaxy, so I didn't have to worry about alternate plots with other (laughs) characters. Awesome. But, like, yeah, so galaxy's in there. And then I love Alicia Yo, so I wanted to bring her back when I went to Gotham. And, like, it really did... It ended up being like where she's surrounded by queer people. But then again, that is the straight women I know when they mm-hmm. have problems, especially problems involving um, failed relationships, they hang out with the queer women they know. Like that just happens. Um, and so it, it made sense to me in my experiences. Like, yeah, this straight woman who's having trouble mm-hmm. because the, the man she loves is going off on a great adventure with another woman and she's not, she doesn't have the job she thought she had (laughs) anymore. Right. Like all of this stuff is like, of course she's going to hang out with her, her lesbian friends. Of course. That just just made sense. I love that. There's um, galaxy 
and her relationship with with Kendra, it feels so natural. They bounce off each other so well. Do you think like having those two interact, were they able to like teach you things about the other one? Like, did you learn things about Kendra by how Galaxy was able to interact with her or vice versa? Oh, absolutely with Kendra. Mm-hmm. Um, because Kendra doesn't want Galaxy around to start out with. And then um, as, as Galaxy kind of wears her down, mm-hmm. as like, no, I'm, I'm a great person to have around. What are you talking about? Um, it kind of really opened up. Because the whole po- point of Galaxy being there is to show Kendra like who she's not. Like here, you, here's a person who has not succeeded in superheroing the same way you have. But as a consequence, she has a better personal life and she has um, a really great and powerful love that she has. And she has someone in her life who she cares about. And how great is that, that I got Mm -hmm. to show up this ideal love, right? And it's between a trans woman and another woman who's um, fat and uses a prosthesis. Like that's never happens and then oh, i yeah. loved that that was like our ideal relationship with these two characters um getting a little misty thinking about it uh, <laughs> so yeah so to bring her in there and to have her do that um was just really great and it was also wild to like bring galaxy forward in age six years mm-hmm. and to think about because like when i wrote um galaxy the prettiest star i didn't think i was ever gonna write these characters ever again like it was like a one and done that was fun Mm -hmm. but who's gonna ever want to see these weirdos the second time and it turns out lots of people so that's great um because i i'm happily would write these characters the rest of my life Mm um so but it was fun to like imagine like what what galaxy was like um after six years of being who she always wanted to be and like how that's affected her and the good ways and the bad ways um she's still a motor mouth when she's nervous mm-hmm. that hasn't changed <laughs> the scene between her and batman oh mm-hmm. my god so good uh, and I love how man cage wrote that page too or it was just mm-hmm. like these tiny figures and all of this text and then just whoosh, the big, huge Batman. Um, yeah, having them interact with Batman was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about a childhood dream, right? To to not only write mm-hmm. Batman, but then to have one of your own toys come out and play with him. Yeah. Oh, so fun. <laughs> that's amazing. That is, it's the dream. You're living the dream, and that's awesome. Yeah, <sighs> it's pretty great. I won't lie. Yeah, Batman I, I telling her that she it. belongs here. That was yeah. that was wonderful. Thank you. Um, speaking of Taylor and seeing how she's come, how far she's come in just six years, when she um is under um, Fulpecula's control at the end, and she is just unleashing her powers, and that was that was something that was incredible, but also scary at the same time because like you don't really get a glimpse of like just how powerful she is in galaxy. And this is the first time we get to see galaxy as like the hero. And even throughout the beginning of the series, she's kind of just, she uses her powers in a very reserved way. It feels like, but then just completely unleashed. I, the, the question I have, I phrased it in the, the best way possible. Do you feel like the hierarchy of power has changed in the DC universe with the galaxy's introduction? 
Um, a little, but like, <laughs> thankfully, Galaxy is a character who would never seek out the hierarchy of power, so she's fine. Um, Black Adam, sleeping easy. Yeah, I mean, well, I've I joke about this because, like, um, it's time for trans people to not just have a power fantasy, but an overpowered fantasy. I feel like yeah. we're we're due to make up for lost time. Um, but it was one of those things where it was like with Galaxy the Pretty Star, her powers were very metaphorical. And it was like we're trying to, in a superhero terms ways, talk about microaggressions and like feeling sensitive to the energy around you and how that changes, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that was the whole point. And then to move her into a superhero with a capital S context where those metaphorical powers now had to be real, it was like, oh, she is incredibly powerful in a way that I did not clock originally when I was granting her this power set. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's a fun thing to play with because she is someone who like has an immense amount of power and can do godlike things in some ways, but wouldn't wouldn't because that's mm -hmm. just not how she thinks and that's not how who she is. And she'll like you know use her powers to make um, to stimulate your healing so that a wound goes away faster. But she won't think to like um, you know suddenly. Um, keep your brain from having electrical signals and kill you. Right. Like, that's not who she is. <laughs> oh, and fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, but that's also like, um, and like, if we ever go back to see Andy and talk about like that culture and her origins, which I've thought about way too much, like, <laughs> This is a society that's like doesn't build things, they grow things, right? So they're mm -hmm. very in tune to their home planet. They're not Seandians, they are the Seandi. Like they're part of the planet. And that connection of being part of the planet is what grants them these powers because they live in the DC universe where aliens just have powers. And that's a thing. Um, <laughs> and like Galaxy is tied to Earth in that way and that she has these powers because of, of um, what Earth is. But anyway, that whole philosophy they have is like, we are all in this together. And that's something mm -hmm. that um, is ingrained in Galaxy, even though she hasn't been to Sandy in a long time, even though the time she spent there, she was a child. Like she, she believes in a, in a community and in being together and that we are all together. Um, and so her impulse then is to always to help. And that's why that scene in issue six is so chilling is like, she is not there to help. Mm -hmm. She is not there to be together. She is there alone and she is frightened and scared. And um, she is in a, a role that Kendra is very much in, in the beginning of the series. There's roles have flipped where it's now galaxy begging Kendra to kill her as opposed to Kendra just letting death come. Um, and that's that's chilling, right? It's a very chilling oh, yeah. moment and it's a very chilling scene. And to, like we see her power and it's like one of those things where it's like we only see that power because it's being misused. Oh my gosh. Oh, it was it, it was absolutely it absolutely was chilling. And it was it was resolved in such a wonderful way. Issue six, fantastic climax. 
But I want to just talking a lot about how much you thought about Galaxy and like that sci-fi origin of her. I want to switch over and talk about the fantasy in this book, because this is the first time I've seen you write fantasy and talk um, talking a little bit about like Volpecula, who I love. Just like I feel like I need to lift my arm up with my my cape Um, (laughs) (laughs) about her as a villain and about creating the um, the nth world. I notice, you know, going through the story, it's very hard not to notice. There's a big running theme of fables and folklore running through it. Um, it doesn't settle with that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, this is a thing. Um, can you it talk to me? Settle with superheroes, like, <laughs> hey, no, it I, it's work. okay. What's what's the quote? I know people who use subtext and they're right. all cowards. Exactly. That's the. That was, you know, I thought that was a joke when I first heard it, but it's become what I live by. Ah, oh, we love it. How did how did that come about? How did you feel like that related to um to Kendra as a character? Um, well, a lot of it was like a a very conscious decision to separate this series from the um, Hawkman series that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was mainly written by Robert Medetti and drawn by a whole bunch of talented people. Brian Hitch, I think, one of them. Mm-hmm. Brian Hitch definitely was one of them, but he wasn't all the way through. Doesn't matter. The point is that series was very sci-fi, and like people were zooming around on spaceships and putting plugs up against their heads mm-hmm. and all sorts of fun stuff. Like it's a great series. You go to Alien Worlds, wonderful. <coughs> but I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be um, to immediately let people know that like we are not doing the Vendetti Hawkman series, but for Kendra, mm-hmm. um, this is something different. And so the, the impulse then was to go in a very fantasy direction. And um, as far as the, the folklore element was like, when you look up the um, natural predators to Hawks, there isn't any because they're alpha predators, <laughs> but there are other, similar predator species who like compete for food right Mm -hmm. and like one of them is foxes so it was very clear the other one is owls so i was like okay we have to have a court of owls story obviously the other oh yeah and then um to kind of bring that fantasy in i wanted a fox villain who was like this trickster character Mm because i love a trickster character i love characters who are there seeming to help you but are off after their own entrance like that's catnip to me so to do Mm -hmm. this i needed one of those and like we whenever we see female con artists frequently they are um very sexualized Mm -hmm. and i was like again we're dealing with a straight woman here and i wanted a (laughs) female (laughs) villain so, like, having her be overly sexualized didn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, to kind of go another route with her and to have her be this sort of, like, almost over-the-top Joker-esque figure who, like, you know, says these, like, overly ornate things and feels mm-hmm. out of place with the modern world around her, that felt like a lot of fun. And that is where Volpecula... Volpec, excuse me. I, I mispronounced this name so often early... And I was only after like giving a bunch of interviews. In fact, I think even yours, I pronounce yep, it wrong. Yep. Um, it is 
pronounced the same way as the constellation, which is Vulpecula. Uh, see that <laughs> funny thing is I, I went on a walk before I do, before I did the interview, I typically go on a walk before interviews. I'm like, this is the best place to get in my head and get all the questions out that I want to ask. And I kept saying it to myself as I was walking, it's like, Volpecula. <laughs> you can say it right. Say it the right way. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to show her what I've learned. And then it's like, oh, okay, we, we switched back. Right. <laughs> Which yeah. is the funniest no, thing that could happen today. That's on me. <laughs> no, sorry. I just, I personally, I love that. That was great. Because um, I did name about... her after the constellation. So if the constellation oh, okay. is pronounced yeah. Volpecula, then she has to be Volpecula. Mm -hmm. So, like, but it's written down. Who cares? <laughs> You read it with your mind. There you go. You see it. You know what it is. Well, when she, if she ever shows up in a television or movie adaption, then we'll have concrete she... definitions. <laughs> Unless it's like a, a racial ghoul situation where they just say oh, it differently right. every time. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's true. That could happen. <laughs> Be having those debates in twenty years. I can't wait. Um, there's. The, the nth world that we get to see in issue six. Yes. And it was a vibrant and fascinating world. Talk to me a little bit about how that came to be. What did you want the nth world to look like? What did you want it to be? Uh, yeah, I wanted, well, I wanted a place for Kendra to get a never ending source of villains. Like the whole point <laughs> of this series was to give Kendra a platform to shoot off into her own stories with. And I took that to be like, let's tie up some loose ends about her character. Let's give her a stronger definition of who she is and what she does. Mm -hmm. And then let's also give her her own little group where villains come from so that we can pull from them going forward. And so to create the, this ninth world, which when I thought it up, I was very excited about because like, I can't believe no one's thought of a ninth world yet. That seems so obvious. The ninth metal, Jack Kirby's mm -hmm. fourth world ninth world it just makes sense and then I found out that yeah someone else had thought of that up and there had been <laughs> mentions of it before and like okay fine but like no one's been there so we still get to define it I it just I can't claim it I can claim it as mine but someone did get there first and that's right that's fair um Christopher Priest talks about the ninth world in his Black Adam series so there must have been something in the water um and and I, metal, I there's nods to his ninth world in my ninth world because I didn't want to step on mm -hmm. anyone's toes um, but yeah the idea with the ninth world is it's a place where kind of um, all of folklore exists and that's where it all comes from and so like these stories that we tell are because there are beings from the ninth world who kind of leaked into ours mm -hmm. and i wanted it to go even further than that and be like the reason there's so many animal themed superheroes is because of ninth world kind of background radiation that's like Ooh. done that right but that changes too much right like that makes that changes like vixen's origin it also changes batman's origin and it's like all of this is like it's this bridge too far right i was told not to do that i was like okay fair <sighs> But you could still see it that way. Yeah. It's all in the interpretation. And it's all in the interpretation. So, yeah. So we have this world with a bunch of animal people. Um, and then um, that follows the rules of folklore, mainly that, um, you know, you will be given fair exchange 
for what you ask for, but what you ask for may not necessarily be what you need. Mm-hmm. And what you get may not necessarily be what you want. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and like, that's, that's a concept that I've always loved. I love, I love the idea of a goblin market in general. Mm-hmm. And to have a whole world that's a goblin market was very attractive. Um, and I wish we got to spend more time in there, like looking back. I was like, I should have, mm-hmm. they should have gone to Ninth World and like issue two. Uh, <laughs> just so I could have played around in there mm-hmm. more. But, you know, they need, we needed to ha- ground her in the real world before we played yeah. around in the fantasy one. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm there with you. I wish we'd seen more of it, but just, it, it's so wonderful and beautiful. I love exploring new places and concepts like that. And that it, it really did it for me. I love that. I also love that you came back to that, that gag that was at the beginning. There's the single throwaway panel where he's like, do you turn into like a pack of hawks or, and then in the very last issue, she, she turns into a pack of hawks. Right. Like who would have thought that that would have been the, the central mm-hmm. question of the whole series. Right. Um, yeah, that's you can thank my wife for that. She made the joke. <laughs> it's like you should have a bystander who says, "Do you turn into um, a bunch of hawks or just one big hawk?" Because that's a funny thing that someone would ask a superhero and be annoying. And I was like, "Yes." Not only do I need someone to ask that question, that is the central question of the series. <laughs> Are you Kendra, a bunch of hawks? Are there a lot of other hawks inside you? a lot of other women, a lot of other idea- identities, a lot of other past lives, or are you one big hawk who is just you and only you? And the solution we came to, she was did have a bunch of hawks inside of her. Mm-hmm. Now she's just one big hawk. <laughs> it's like that meme, inside you there are two wolves, inside you there are a million hawks. Right, that's, yes. <laughs> That's the Kendra Saunders problem at the beginning of the uh, series. And we have solved it by the end. Uh, I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, just because we are approaching an hour, I'm just quickly checking to see if there's anything I forgot to ask. Oh, big one. Huge one. Where can I get Kendra's shirt? The one that says nobody likes us. We don't care. Oh, Anywhere. That's standard Eagles merch. Really? Yeah, you'll have to get it with an Eagles logo on it. Um, We obviously could not print the Eagles logo on (laughs) Kendra's shirt. And I didn't want to do like a fake Eagles logo. I was like, you know Mm -hmm. what? The colors will be enough. Those who know, know. Um, And a lot of people did. Like a lot of Eagles fans were like, yeah, one of us. So yeah, just search for that shirt. You'll find it. It's a bunch of places. Um, And it comes in green and black and white. Um, yeah, I'm gonna... so you find it. It's that's that was wild the response to that because it was either people who knew what it was and were super excited, or people who didn't understand and were very confused. And I I thought it would work even if you weren't an Eagles person, because no one likes us, we don't care is kind of Kendra's whole attitude. Yeah. <laughs> Like, she's aware she's not the most popular hawk person. Right? Not even the most hawk popular hawk femme, right? Like, she's yeah. aware of that. Um, especially at that moment when she's wearing the shirt. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I thought that would work. But uh, it was amazed to see the response to people who, like, saw it as some sort of secret message. And were trying to decipher. And I was like, no, you guys. It's an Eagles t-shirt. 
she talks about being an Eagles fan and it's character mm-hmm. resonant. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> what was the weirdest thing is that someone said like it was way of her being like secretly gay, which is bizarre because right next to her on the same panel is Kat wearing a shirt that says dyke, 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 dyke. Yeah. So like, I don't have to be secret if I was going to make her gay. Like clearly, I, I have a, a I can have a character wear a t shirt that says Dyke. I don't need to beat around the bush. It was so bizarre to me. Um, but you know, that's the thing. You put these stories out, and people are going to bring them bits of themselves to their mm-hmm. reading interpretation. Oh yeah, and um, and most of that has been positive and wonderful. But sometimes people see a little bit more than what's there. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely see that a lot. Um, this is the conclusion of your first, like, you know, ongoing series at DC. So I've, now that's all over. Do you feel like you've learned anything about yourself as a writer? How has this experience kind of changed you and your perspective? Well, number one, writing superhero comics, just as fun as I thought it was going to be. So like, that's great. I want to do mm-hmm. more. Like, I don't think I've ever had more fun in the writing part of anything I've ever done. Like I loved writing Galaxy, The Prettiest Star, and that came from a very deep and important place within me. And it just flowed right out of me and had to be written. But that wasn't fun in the same way that this was fun. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I learned how to do it, which is one of those things that's like a party trick, right? To mm-hmm. learn how to write a superhero story in 20 pages. And now that I, I've learned how to do it, I want to show it off and do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something there. But it's also, it's really, it's weird to realize your dream, like not just your dreams, but your childhood dreams. Yeah. Especially like, like when I was a kid, I wanted to write superhero comics, obviously. Who doesn't? We all do. Um, I, mean, I guess not everyone, but like... <laughs> You and I do, did, right, yeah. as, as yeah. a kid? Yeah. So, like, everyone here. And then as a teenager, it was quite clear that, like, the kind of stories that I want to tell, um, parentheses, gay, are not going to be the kind of stories that people like DC are going to publish. So I'm going to mm-hmm. put aside that dream of writing these characters because they are not going to want what I bring or what I want the stories I want to tell. And that was something that I was very aware of as a teenager and like was good for me in a lot of ways. Cause it was like, let's see what other comics are there then. And I got, and I was very fortunate to be a teenager in the nineties, right when the black and white boom was happening. So there was all sorts of weird comics coming out at that mm-hmm. time that I just ate up with a spoon. Um, so, so um, I thought maybe maybe I'll do a Vertigo book, right? But like, they're never going to let me play with those toys because I would want to play, I wouldn't want to tell gay stories with them. Mm-hmm. And then to like now be able to tell my little gay stories in the superhero context, not just with the Galaxy in her own little hermetically sealed graphic novel world, but also in like a mainline book that, has Superman and Batman in walk-on roles and has a larger connection to a larger universe. 
like and to have you know queer characters and queer themes in there um is just like every time i think about it i start to get choked up because like i was so positive that that couldn't happen and that wasn't going to happen and that the stories i wanted to tell were stories that a company like dc wasn't interested in and then to have mm-hmm. done it um and to have told the story i wanted to tell like that's the other thing about this that's been so great is like everybody involved knew what i was doing and was on board and allowed me the space to tell that story <coughs> excuse me and like that doesn't happen all the time mm-hmm. and that may not happen the next time i get an opportunity like this so to have it happen here <coughs> have it happen here the first time was just incredible and just a wonderful experience i'm that it makes me so happy to hear you talk about your experience with this book and i'm so glad it went so well you're absolutely killing it killed it on this book and i can't wait to see what you do next like personally 2023 was a big year for you because you had your um dc's book of pride um Mm -hmm. galaxy went to i believe the third printing yeah i went to the second and then Sold out of that very quickly and then got a third. <laughs> That's so, so cool. And you absolutely murdered this book. Gave us an awesome Kendra Saunders. So the naturally the last question I have to end on and, you know, be as vague as possible because I understand there's always, you know, restrictions. Are there things that we can expect from you in 2024 to keep an eye out for? Not in 2024. Um, 2025? Maybe. Okay. Um, I mean, there's a possibility there, there's been some talk about doing something that might show up in late in 2024, but that's a mm-hmm. long shot. So it's probably better to bank it on something showing up in 2025, but I am, I just turned in something for DC, but like the artist has to draw the thing. So like, it's, <laughs> kind of, you know, it does just, cause yeah. I'm done, and I'm not even done writing it. Like I still have to get notes and all this stuff. So like the process is long. It's mm-hmm. going to be 2025 at least, if not later, before we see that. Um, but I'm very happy with it and very proud of it. Like, awesome. it's going to be great. Um, very exciting. Yeah. Beyond that, like, uh, I don't really have a lot of things planned for 2024, which I think is good. Um, just because 2023 was so much, right? So now it's the time to, like, shore up some stuff work on mm-hmm. some other things um, and give them the time and space that they need to to grow. I have a couple pitches out to other publishers who are not DC. They may get picked up. They may not be. I don't, I, it's too early to tell if those things mm-hmm. are gonna happen. Um, but if they do happen, you're not gonna see it this year. You're gonna see it next year or the year after, or the year after that, because it takes a long time to make a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, Beyond the hot girl trade coming out this summer, there's probably not going to be um, Jed Zia Axrod stuff, which is fine because there's more stuff coming. Mm-hmm. It just won't be this year. Yeah. And it will be well worth the wait. So, Jazia, thank you so much <laughs> for being here with us today. I, I really appreciate it. It's always an, a blast to get to talk to you. Um, oh, it's is a there Awesome. Is there anything that you would like to plug any um, social media outlets, any other of your works that you'd like to 
let the audience know about before we sign off for the night? Oh, I mean, I think we talked about Galaxy. That's the important one. <laughs> it's yes. it's funny, right? Because like I have written other things, but it's like it, it's probably going to end up that's what I will be known for, and I'm totally mm-hmm. happy for that. Like it's such a wonderful, beautiful book that I, I love so much. Um, so yeah, Galaxy the Pretty Star is great. Go pick it up. Um, Hot Girl comes out in June. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. And, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate your time. And everyone out there listening, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Make sure you pick up this book when it comes out in June. You're going to want to read it again and again. Show your friends all the pretty pictures. It's going to be great. Pick up Galaxy 2 and check out our episode on that if you haven't yet. Because, wow, we all loved it here at the show. Um, And yeah, I think that's about it. For everyone out there, um, all the ships at sea, we will see you next time. Bye.